Yeah, that's new. That is yeah, new. That's new. We got a so big listen to the podcast. You didn't see that, but it was no. a highlight of what our listeners are saying about us on Apple mm-hmm. iTunes reviews, which was yeah. a positive, a positive thing. Yeah. There's one of them that wasn't too positive from a guy named Wartime that I think wants to couple. murder us. Oh, so he's he's clearly like uh yeah. not a regular person. I think he wants to murder us, I think. I, I got concerned. Like I thought everything was okay, but then I read the tweets again, and I was like, "Special thanks." Uh, it's weird. Does he want to murder us? So, anyways, you know. <laughs> Whoa! What's all this stuff? Oh, okay. So sorry, guys. I'm getting distracted. That is a that's a big link. So, um, what is going on? Do we have glitches in the matrix? Anyways, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, everyone. I'm the host that talks first, D. I'm the host that talks second, Dr. Corey Petty. And I'm Batman. I'm host number three. <laughs> if you're watching the video, you can see Jesse has... The Snapchat filter, so he's going to be going wild with his uh, video today. Everyone knows that you're Jesse now. If you're going to be Batman, you got to say, oh, I'm host number three. Okay. Who's yeah. that? Who said that? I don't know who said that. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, um, there's been a lot since we released an episode on this feed, right? And what I mean by that is we have premium content now. So if you hadn't heard an episode in two weeks, it's only because you don't have the privilege of that primo content, baby, right? And you can't get that privilege because Jesus Christ, where's this going? (laughs) Continue. (laughs) You continue. Sure. I bet you that's how everyone feels when Batman rolls up on the scene. Like, yeah, continue. Like, hey, Commissioner, so let me see. What the fuck? Continue. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, anyways. I'm uh, listening. So uh, I can't even concentrate now. Yes, we did a premium show. And the only way I get access to that premium show is by becoming a patron. Aww. Oh, slow. Hold on, I'll do it. I'll do it. Responses. Let's see. Uh, So check your privilege and go get some more. There it it is. The only way to do it is becoming a patron, right? So some lucky patrons got some juicy content, baby. More juicy than a well-cooked medium uh, rare steak. We did a a meta review of our first episode. I like it. Absolutely. That's fun. Listening to ourselves talk about stuff back mm-hmm. in june 2015 mm-hmm. about all the stuff and where we got started and why we we're here mm-hmm. like it's funny to see like talking about our interactions of like price movement back then and how happy we were with like stability of like mm-hmm. was like 300 dollars. So, oh yeah, yeah. just the casual like, conversation about it. <laughs> yes. like so like a lot of the stuff hasn't changed just the price mm-hmm. 
Batman, why are you reaching under the cowl to scratch your lips? Like, that seems like it's excessive work. Batman's mask isn't working properly today. <laughs> so, anyways, um, you can get access to the meta episodes um, as you become a patron, right? Uh, the meta episodes are designed specifically for... Um, Jesus Christ, <laughs> specifically so that you can get an understanding of what crypto was like back in 2015, right? Like what were the projects that were hitting or missing? What were the types of people that were in the space, right? And it's just like an audible the controversies. What were we worried about? What yeah. were we thinking this future was going to look like? Like, Well, bulk of it was block size, right? Uh, first, like, there's like a section of time when it was we talked about block size a lot i remember one time where i was like i don't ever want to say block size again i don't want to say it but for those of you not privy to what i mean when i say block size and why that was such a big deal then you're probably newer and, and welcome to the shit show so anyways what are we talking about uh, today are we gonna do user thing we're gonna ask him how joe's weeks were how was your week d it's halfway through the week yeah, well, the first half of the week has gone pretty well. How is half of your week? Pretty good. I don't got no complaints. I, di- I did fall down the stairs today, so that's a that's a negative part. <laughs> hmm. I'm just fell glad you're not stairs. Hurt. My dog left a rope, like a chew rope, on the stairs. I was walking down with a drink and a full a full bowl of of Chinese food. <laughs> And I slid down the stairs, about halfway down the stairs, and then shattered both the glass and the bowl and food and drink everywhere. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Damn. Yeah. I know I'm maturing because if it were younger me, I would have laughed profusely. But instead, I instantaneously was like, I'm glad you're not dead, bro. That's a serious thing. A serious <laughs> thing. That's how you know you're getting old. You're like, be careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that way. You're like, <laughs> younger, they're like, ha, you're fine. Even if you would have like broken your ankle, I would have been like, ha ha, noob. Yeah. Learn how to yeah, use you, stairs. You fell down bro. my stairs in the house I lived in before this house. And, like, put, <laughs> you, you put your foot through my wall. And I broke my toe. Yeah. What the fuck? It was crazy. He had these crazy circular stairs that went yeah. straight down. So like oh. I was like, all right, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run downstairs real quick. And like I just remember like severe. looking back for a second. And the next thing I knew, I was like, down, out, man charges. down, man down. My, I was missing a sock. There was a hole in the wall. Yeah, not the sock. <laughs> how do you, how many, like, okay, so how far down the stairwell are you guys falling? Like, you're just missing, like, a few steps? Or are you, like, falling the whole thing? I fell down. So there's probably, you know, 30 stairs. I don't, I don't even, I have mean, no idea how many stairs are on my stairwell, but, like, okay. half. 30 stairs? Half, you went I, down half. I went on half of them. What the fuck? But like sliding on my back, right? Like I landed okay, on my okay, back okay. and I slid down the stairs until I caught oh, okay. myself. So I got like rug burn on my on my forearm and my my, my hip is a little sore, but yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> I fell down a circular a spiral staircase. <laughs> so it was straight down, maybe. Yeah, I think it was like treacherously steep and circular. Yeah. And so it was... yeah. But anyways, enough yeah. about stairs and falling down them. Let's get into today's show. So we're going to talk about Bitcoin at the very top, baby. It happened. It happened, guys. We all, everybody in crypto knows what happened, but we know what happened. El Salvador, a country, a bona fide country, has said that Bitcoin is going to be our legal tender. 
that's bananas, right? The reason why it's bananas is because it said something that we have been saying for years and knew it was going to happen. We just know who's going to be the first country to bite it. You know, who's going to be the first person to say like, yeah, this is legal tender. You got to accept it if someone wants to pay with it. It's a big deal. I see you guys are related. It's still a pretty big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. I, th- I think one of the bigger things that I've mentioned, hashtag not investment advice, go talk to your tax lawyer, whatever. Uh, is because it's now legal tender in a different country, it can no longer be taxed as capital gains. How does that work? Because you can't tax capital yeah. gains on legal tender. You can't. It has to I be think an there's income something tax. along the lines of that. Like I, I was reading something that like huh. I was like, oh wow, this is huge because it's a legal tender. It now falls under the jurisdiction of not being able to be taxable by capital gains, as capital gains, only for Bitcoin. If that's the case, is that for every country or that's just for no, like America? United, well, it's like at least like the United States, right? Okay. Which is which is all I give a shit about. Just kidding. Uh, it, it's it's most relevant to me and a good portion of the people in the United States who, which is a good portion of the investors of cryptocurrency. I think that, and once again, why does that keep popping talk up? Talk to your tax now? accountant to make sure to make sure this is real. You can't be charged capital gains on legal tender, regardless of what country that legal tender is. Hmm. If that's the case, that's a pretty big boon for uh, investing and using and doing a business with Bitcoin in particular. Hmm. I mean, Japan uses Bitcoin as legal tender, right? So like, how does that work? I don't think it was to the uh, to the effect of like how El Salvador okay. did it though. El Salvador made a show about it, mm-hmm. right? And then we saw this cascading of South American countries that were like, "Hold up, El Salvador, you're not going to be the coolest person in the room. Mm-hmm. We're getting on the train too, right?" So we had Paraguay, we had uh, Brazil, um, wait, they Argentina. Also- yeah, they're all saying like, yeah, we're going to do it too. Oh. We're going to do that too. So it's a huge moment for Bitcoin history, right? Like, um, one, we should probably get a little bit more information about the Japanese, you know, the, Japan, like if they're doing it as legal tender or not. But El Salvador is adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. And that is dope. In fact, I want to read a slight part of the article. This is coming from Cointelegraph, which funny story, we used to be sponsored by them. Not sponsored by them. We used to be their podcast. That was Coin Telegraph. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, we got a couple of graphics of us in the in that yeah. uh, like so, that, their characteristic style. I'm yeah. just going to read a few lines here. The cryptocurrency space and wider economic community continued a lot of historic move by El Salvador to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender. The Central American country has become the first in the world to do so. Still up in the court, up in the air, and the move has also spurred a handful of other Central South American countries to begin taking steps toward the same eventuality. Unsurprisingly, the move has made waves in the cryptocurrency community, with Bitcoin proponents, in particular, highlighting the significance of the legislative change in driving cryptocurrency adoption. Right. So the overarching response has been positive, uh, which is true. So um, here's. There's also some neat stuff going on, like it's evolving really fast. Um, here's the president of uh, 
Nicaragua, not Nicaragua, El Salvador. He said, I've just instructed the president um, of their geotherm of a geothermal electric company to put up a plan to offer facilities for Bitcoin mining with very cheap, 100% clean, 100% renewable, zero emissions energy from our volcanoes. Right. So it's kind of neat. Like we're seeing this evolution take place across the world, which I'm not going to say uh, I called it, but I did. And mining, the, the incentives to mine are so great that if you can find access to cheap and clear energy, you're going to do it. You're going to mine. It doesn't make any sense not to. Right. If I'm a person that knows I have easy access to cheap energy, I'm going to mine. Right. That's going to be a new thing moving forward. So they're literally taking the geothermal energy coming out of the, not literally, I hate saying that word. I say that word so much now these days. They're taking the geothermal activity coming out from those volcanoes, those big ass gas vents or whatever, popping a power plant on it and popping a mining rig on it. And boom. Popping a power plant on it. That's how it goes. That's how I, when I played SimCity or, you know, when you play StarCraft, you see that big green oozy thing, you drop a power plant on it. So Texas is getting a pretty big influx of mining as well. Absolutely, man. Like, uh, I don't know. Don't they already cool. have power issues? It seems like it's going to exacerbate them. No, nah, I bet you they'll fix them. They'll figure it out. Yeah, sure. I bet, you they'll, I, right. bet you, I bet you they'll figure it out real quick. Bet if, they we, will. if we want that hot profit coming in from the mining, baby, we're going to have to figure out this grid shit that we got going While on. While you were saying that, by the way, I looked up a couple articles, one from Decrypt that talked about um, El Salvador's legal tender move. It says uh, unlikely to change tax implications on U.S. residents because of details. I, I invite you to go look up Decrypt mm-hmm. and read that article. Everybody so, worried about the tax man, baby. It may, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, as an investor, you should be worried about paying proper taxes on what you're what you're investing in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, and like because, especially, particularly in the U.S., one we're like incredibly litigious means like people will sue for anything, uh, and we have very like muddy, muddled guidelines around how to treat this stuff, and the guidelines tend towards overtaxing it. In, in ways that don't make really real sense to how it's actually being used, in my mm-hmm. opinion, uh, it keeps a lot of people from using it and businesses from incorporating it into 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 how they kind of do their business. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this in the past. Like, if go if you listen to the meta the meta episode, we talked about this on the first episode of this podcast. Like, it takes businesses to use this stuff mm-hmm. within each other, and not just like I accept it and then I immediately convert it into crypto or into into, into fiat. Businesses using it, keeping it on the books, and then using it for business to business transactions for this stuff to like really take hold. Yeah. In order and for that to happen, happen. Well, in order for that to happen is a monumental, astronomical purchasing power of one Bitcoin. Right. You're going to have to have to, in order to be okay with losing fractions of your Bitcoin, it's, they're going to have to be small fractions. Right. They're going to have to be really tiny amounts. What do you mean? Well, I mean, if I'm going to be okay with losing my Bitcoin, I only want to lose a little bit. So if businesses are going to be doing business in Bitcoin because it's stable enough, right? And because there's enough of it out there. Stable enough, who cares? Right. So, so it goes back to that old, like, 
that that math that pe- that silly math people like to do is like if everyone on the planet had some bitcoin everyone would only have 0.00076 whatever bitcoin so you do the math and it's like such a memeable thing to say right so first of all not everyone's gonna have bitcoin uh second of all is and if everybody only had 0.007 that means we're gonna have to go really deep into satoshi land to start denominating things into satoshis for people to be comfortable with giving up any amount of bitcoin Right. The value is like, I mean, one Satoshi would have to be a dollar, like something crazy like that. Right. In order to to have that much commerce done with Bitcoin. So, um, yeah. So the overall, the El Salvador thing is pretty big for Bitcoin. And another thing that was big for Bitcoin was Taproot which I don't know if you've been in this space long enough, Bitcoin gets about one upgrade every decade. So, (laughs) so this, that's not that off. (laughs) It's not that far, baby. We're, we're sitting at, we're sitting at two upgrades in a decade. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at our Slack and trying to find that uh, website that has the acceptance rate. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like it's it's been confirmed. It's locked in. It's Tapper's locked, locked in. in. Tapper watch. Thank you, Alicia. I appreciate that. It's locked in. It's just not um, going to be activated until I think in the fall. Tapper I is think locked or, in. So September or something like that. So for for those of you that know, Taproot is Taproot is a soft fork. It's a soft fork. I believe. They're all soft um, forks. Everything in Bitcoin is a soft fork these days. They're so anti-hard fork that I don't think you're going to – it's going to be – like, and also because of the way SegWit was introduced, it gave them a lot of um, mm-hmm. more like, potentially safe options for introducing soft forks into the protocol, mm-hmm. right? Which was – which is in some, in some instances nice, uh, yeah. I think. People like Vitalik would argue that's a bad thing because he thinks it's more coercive than hard forks, but whatever. How many, um, Jesse, this is a question to you. Do you prefer a soft fork or a hard fork? Um, probably a hard fork. Mm. I mean, in terms of, in terms of what, I guess I should have asked that. In terms of getting more value, like in terms of being able to like have more money from having Bitcoin or for, for like, what is, what does it mean? Just like in general, like, you know, what's, what's like, safer for, for the value of the community as a whole soft works for value Why? of an individual forking tokens, hard forks. Why? Cause it's less contentious. You don't split the well, community. Who's to say the fork is contentious. Was the last fork contentious? The last hard fork, and Bitcoin the segwit yes. thing, yeah. So that's what I mean. But Ethereum has gone through multiple hard forks, and only one of them has been contentious. The Ethereum Classic split with the DAO reversal. So yeah, I would say that hard fork. Bitcoin's gone through contentious hard forks in the past too. Only really one of them was contentious, unless you talk about all of the different hard forks from mm-hmm. from Bitcoin Cash once it's separated. That then went into like a milieu of a bunch of different ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And hard forks. I think soft forks are preferable to answer D's question in terms of community. A lot less sweat. A whole lot less sweat. I prefer hard forks personally. Yeah. Mm. A little bit more sweat with the hard forks, but 
you know, probably get it done just a little bit better, to tell you the truth. I think but you like you like Vitalik's stance, right? To. It's I I I am mostly aligned with what Vitalik says in terms of uh it's it's a it's a very hard decision and it gives people the option to opt out if they if they mm-hmm. choose to. And mm-hmm. it's what's interesting about doing hard forks is that if it is contentious and it hard forks and the old chain survives and continues to develop across it, you have two tokens that represent two different communities, but because of the way this te- 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 technology works, those communities are kind of overlapping. You don't have to be in one or the other if you don't want to be. So it, mm-hmm. it allows for larger, especially in, I think, in this time period of the technology, it's mm-hmm. more important to experiment in different methods of, of scale and expansion than to say, like, this is the only way. And to, like, build a cult following around one specific ideology. It's more important to experiment on how you scale these networks and then build more bridges and interoperability across the networks such that people can kind of dip their toes in what they think is is useful to them and exit when they want to. And if you only have one option, then you're you're stuck with the same dumb shit. We're just like, if I don't like this, I can't do anything about it because there's nothing else to do. And hard forks give you that option. It allows people to exit or go with a specific one. And then once that's over, then you're able to expand the rules. Okay. So like, if you think about it from like a fundamental standpoint, a hard fork is an expansion of rules and consensus. Whereas a soft fork is, is a further constraining of rules. So let me ask you this, like, why not just start your own, like, like just fork the Ethereum code base and start your own Ethereum, like Binance did with BSC. Well, Binance is able to do it because they had a tremendous following of users. Mm-hmm. And they were able to force those users into using their chain because the the backend just started using it. Now, if you're able to have a giant community and your community supports such a thing, then it's a reasonable thing to do. Binance, maybe, maybe more like depending. more like but China. Like, so, also, like, let me like ask Binance you this: isn't decentralized in any way, shape, or form? What would it you may choose? Be valuable, but it's it's just all Binance. Would you choose soft fork, hard fork, or complete new chain? It depends on the context. Like it's, I th- there isn't an answer. There isn't like this is the way to go. Yeah, it's depending upon your situation. This is probably the the like most reasonable way to go based on the community that's using whatever technology you're talking about. So let's talk if, about like, the two general people, right? You either have developers who are like really contributing to the project, or you have people who are just writing it because of the value. Now, now for each type of person, which one's better? Like for a developer who has different viewpoints, which mm-hmm. one's better? A, a soft fork, hard fork, or his own chain? And and likewise, the same question goes for the the layperson who's just chasing money. Which one is better for them? Soft fork, hard fork, or new chain? I think the person who's just chasing money, um, they don't have a lot of opinion that should really be weighted very much because they don't really like they're just trying to guess which way the price is going to go up or down People are chasing money it's uh, well like if if what happens is out of their control because they're not doing anything yeah uh is the hard fork is best mm-hmm. uh because uh, a hard fork is best if the chain survives right if it's contentious and it actually separates into two communities and those both of those communities grow then they end up with two tokens Based on things that based on doing nothing, a new chain is very difficult because you have to garner a community around that new chain, 
and 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 build it and, and build things around it. A soft fork doesn't change anything. It just stays the same and makes the hopefully makes the utility of that chain better. Hmm. And so if like if if you're just if you're a maximalist, then you want to stick on the same thing. You don't care about other stuff. You're just gonna sell it. It's it's really about like so if you look at it like from a developer standpoint, maybe they're gonna do whatever enables them to build whatever they want to build. How much fork money do you think these companies are sitting on? Coinbase. These centralized exchanges, Coinbase. Like, remember, like, I love how Coinbase, I don't love how Coinbase operates, but I like that they do it so brazenly. Like, Coinbase is like, you know what? We're going to tell them about this first hard fork money and give it to them. But all the rest of the hard fork money, we're just not. We're not going to even bring it up. We're not even going to. There's a, you need some type of threshold of legitimacy. To yeah. introduce it into the platform. And Arguably, you don't. I would say Shiba, the threshold right? in Coinbase is getting lower and lower and lower based right. on the coins they're introducing, right? They said that would. I mean, we could see, see that coming. Do you think people can file like a class action lawsuit for like, let's say, Bitcoin yes. Satoshi's Vision, Bitcoin mm-hmm. Diamond, Bitcoin Platinum? I'm sure people have. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's their money, right? It's their money. No, it's not. Well, sorry. If you go to the laws of crypto... Like Coinbase it's Coinbase's have money because insured. they have the private keys. I guarantee if you, I, I would, I would put money that if you read the product, the, 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 the privacy policy, terms, and like terms of service, terms mm-hmm. and conditions of Coinbase back then. Yeah. It was like, we have the keys. We don't have to give you anything like as a custodial service. Cause that part wasn't insured. Mm-hmm. The only part that was insured was you keeping us dollars in Coinbase. So yeah, the rest yeah. of it was like, Ball, ball, ball. I think I agree with you. It's super context dependent because like you saw Roger Vera, right? He wanted just because of an ideology difference, he hard forked Bitcoin, right? So like mm. well, he, he, didn't didn't do it. Do it. he was the voice of the community. Yeah. Oh, I thought he orchestrated it and I mean, I'm he sure was the he, voice. I'm sure he was a huge part of that orchestration because he was yeah. the loudest voice with a lot of money. Right. Um mm-hmm. but like I don't know, man. Like it, in the early days, mm-hmm. if 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 a, if a here's the here's the problem, with what the eventual problem of this is that, say you have a tremendous amount of societal infrastructure that's dependent upon a given blockchain, yeah, mm-hmm. then what's best? Because you have a lot of people using something they don't understand, and all of the infrastructure underneath it depending upon a single source of truth. Now, if that forks, that's going to cause a lot of problems. I think right? at some point, like, let's say that, like, remember, we never had the the conversation about permissioned blockchains, the, the ones that are patented. And I, I would I would wonder if it's it's like those will never hard fork, right? It's just not going to be legally possible. And so it actually protects everybody, all the lay people who are just investing in the, in the underlying asset because everything will be like a soft fork, right? No. No, I mean legal possibilities in real and real life application are two different things we're talking about. Though they could fork it, might not be legal. They'll fork it, right? Just like we know that there's like billions of dollars worth of dark, but then dark that means market that, like, money out there. There's rules in that there's market. There's a fork of a chain, and there's a fork of a code base, right? Mm-hmm. Like people forked the code base of Bitcoin, changed a couple of parameters, and made things like. Litecoin, Alien Coin, Dogecoin, all those things, right? Like that was the first initial shitcoin endeavor. Mm-hmm. Was people forking the Bitcoin coin posts, changing a couple of parameters, and starting their own network. 
or you could fork a chain. Whereas that you have, you, you keep the history of a given chain up to a certain point and then separate the network mm-hmm. based on a rule set change where transactions on one chain are invalid for the other. Mm-hmm. And there's, so I, some, there's some weird subtleties that happen depending on the type of change you have there. But like that can happen basically regardless of the data structure. Like yeah. the, cons- the consensus is what de- like dictates like what's the valid chain. And that can change based on what your consensus decides and the rule set that they all agree upon. Like for Bitcoin, like the initial separation of Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin, uh, it was basically just two different minor rule sets and a group of a group of nodes that said this is the chain or this mm-hmm. is the chain. And then those then slowly diverged over time. If you remember, uh, for those who are listening, like when it first when it first separated. There was a lot of problems with like replay attacks where like mm-hmm. if I send a, a, a Bitcoin transaction, it may get played on both chains because the chains were almost identical. Yeah. Everybody was warning everybody to wait for like a few like tens of thousands of blocks to propagate so that yeah. they would be more separate. And so like that's it's like that that can become a serious problem later on down the line. If we have a tremendous amount of like societal infrastructure depending upon these things, that's that's you're leading me to my question, which is like, won't the U.S. because C like CBDCs are coming, right? It, we don't know. It's probably going to be like a bespoke chain that they make. And bespoke, yeah. Um, so, how will they like? Let's say they have like a U.S. dollar and whatever the moniker will be uh, for USDC. For, from the from the U.S. government, if it, if it goes into let's say like if there if there's a if there's a wrapped version of that on Ethereum and Ethereum itself hard forks in the future, how do, how does that how does that work? Like, does the money get duplicated? It depends on it depends on the chain and the consensus. So for yeah. most of the proof of stake type consensus, mm-hmm. right? Those are all those all have real finality. So like, there is no probabilistic finality, meaning that like. Over time, like once a thing is confirmed, it is confirmed forever. If you think about Bitcoin and the way proof of work chains work, uh, and like so, current Ethereum and Bitcoin and a lot of other chains, uh, it's a probabilistic finality that can change over time and can fork based on that rule set. Mm-hmm. And so, like forking is a very, very different thing upon those two different those two different sets of like how you come to agreement on on what is valid. So. And for most of the for most of the chains out there, uh, and as things move close, like more and more, like things transition more and more over to proof of stake as it becomes more valid. The concept of a fork is gonna is gonna is gonna be removed. Like the threat of a fork is gonna be removed mm. because mm. that you have you have hard finality on what is what the network agrees upon, as opposed to like this probabilistic finality of, of, of proof of work. So if Ethereum forked right now, like let's say enough of the hash rate decided we don't want to do ETH2 POS stuff. And would that mean that like, and let's say it was like, I don't know, a good good enough percentage of the community that it, it was as viable as Ethereum Classic. So for all intents and purposes, you have Ethereum Classic Classic based on a fork of current Ethereum. Would all the USDC and all that USDT running on Ethereum and all the other ERC20s and all that, all the NFTs, everything, would it get duplicated? Yeah. 
So mm. wouldn't that be a problem? Yeah. Okay, I'm just wondering. As far as I can tell, yeah. Yeah, there'd be like, a massive problem, Jesse. Be a yeah. massive cataclysmic problem. I don't really see that happening. The reason that's not going to happen is uh, because really it's the Ethereum community. It's how they get down. Like they just they move as a unit, right? But they didn't know it. They're not. They're not as nearly as adversarial as. Well, that's that's as, also like this interesting part about proof of stake systems is that you, well, at least for the traditional proof of stake, not talking about Avalanche. You know who all the validators are. Mm-hmm, yeah, and that allows you to do a lot better job of figuring out who's like defining a rule set on how rules change, like a process on how rules change, and then making sure the signaling happens appropriately. With Bitcoin, you don't like with proof of work systems, like true proof of work systems, you don't know who the miners are and what power they have until after mm-hmm. they mine a block, and you're still you're, you're, there's still some guessing games involved. Mm-hmm. And so signaling has this like kind of weird, ambiguous nature to it. Whereas most proof of stake systems, because they're registered identities on the blockchain, you, it's, it's it's a very strong signal. And if there's a process mm-hmm. involved on how things get done, then yeah. you're pretty confident that when you make a rule set, when you make a rule set change, things are not going to like turn into two separate networks based on contention. So something can be said, Jesse, about that contention. And that is just from Vitalik himself. And he was talking with um, NASDAQ or this interview from NASDAQ.com in regards to something that he said. He's like, he admits that Ethereum 2.0 is delayed. And he said, it's not because of the technical problems. It's because of the people problems. Right. And that's something that I think people don't, people dramatically underestimate undertakings like like crypto projects are is that like if you're going to do this in perpetuity um it's your life right so what what vitalik's probably like kind of gleaning into is that like this stuff is delayed because my friends when we went hard in the paint last time making this now they have now they have like families and obligations and all kinds of shit going on the ecosystem is much larger than it used to be and just the people making it though that's the same people no it's not it's absolutely not so you got more behavior at the end of the day, behavior dynamics have a much, much larger effect on the progression of these, these, these projects than like a lot of people in crypto uh, would like to probably admit. Um, and that's what, that's what causes these delays. That's why projects start and stop and stall uh, is that, you know, people's lives change. And so who's working on the shit when your life changes, right? Like that's just a natural that's a natural thing that happens in life. So I don't know if that's what's happening though? Why's your way up in your video? Kind of goes back. Well, I didn't read the whole article. The whole article, he says, you know, that was just one snippet of it. He said one of the biggest problems is not the technical problems; it's related with people. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of internal team conflicts in the past five years. Oh, it's, um, it's not. It's it's it. We'll take Ethereum ETH two as an example, right? It's incredibly inclusive in that there's a lot of different co- coopetition groups cre- like that have made the clients that run the network, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of different people who are coordinating together to, to, to build different software that runs the same rule set that runs E2.0. So you have like Prism, Nimbus, Lighthouse, Teku, like there's a, there's a few others that 
basically run the software that run the network. For Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin D. Sure, you have what? You have like uh, Bitcoin, maybe another one, but mostly it's Bitcoin D. Let's be like, for, to, be, to be real. And so you have to have, make sure that these things work well together and that the way that things are getting done are all like the type of network that these 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 teams are building software for work for and so when you introduce a change it's like that's not going to work because of this this and this and, when, and the more inclusive you are the more difficult it is to come to agreement on a, on a on a unified set of rules so like when he talks about social problems he's talking about the concept of when you're incredibly inclusive and you want to try and gather as many opinions and voices as you can that care about this stuff, the more you include, the more difficult it is to come upon a rule set that works for everyone. Right. It's not the life cycle of the individuals, though. I believe it's more of the uh, the differences just, in how just, people want things It's just a complexity issue. Like, yeah. what's, this, what's the set of rules that everyone's happy with? That conversation, yeah. it's more and more difficult as you include more and more people. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. So if we were to just say like, hey, this is a thing, and everyone's like, yeah, it's a thing. We could build that. That's that's fast, right? Mm-hmm. But the majority of the of the time delay is us coming up with like, this is how it should work. This is what we're going to go with. Let's build that. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, like ETH2, like, is not guaranteed to go forward as a unit. We have the beacon chain. That's live. That's already going. Right, so that's yeah. that that has some functionality associated with it. That has there's no guarantees. Ra- it's got a random oracle. It's got a way of like assigning people to various like validation duties. It has mm-hmm. it is, it has a part of the functionality that all of ETH two wants to do, and that's live and on mainnet with real a lot of real value in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how you move forward mm-hmm. is still subject to change based on what the community feels is the best way forward that not only like gets us from one to two fast and safely, mm-hmm. but also allows us to grow uh, as this ecosystem grows in a manner that doesn't like, because like what happened with Ethereum is that it got real big, real fast. And then they, re- they realized some of the decisions they made in the beginning were kind of stupid, but they're stuck with them. They're ossified into it yeah. because that's how everything works. That's change, also making breaking changes has a has a huge implication on the community. So I feel I, like that's uh, common, though. Yeah, but like, I think it's harder for blockchains because you don't want to be like some decisions may keep you from ever scaling because you can't change them because so many things are dependent upon it. And I think what's happening now is that. Most people are trying to keep that from happening in the in the like far future, so that there's a potential that Ethereum could be the main blockchain of of cryptocurrency. My personal opinion is that's not the case. It's just going to be one of the larger ones. But their goal is to say like we want to be general purpose, so we want to be allow for everyone to do things, which makes it difficult to come together on a like unified set of rules mm-hmm. and how to, how that scales over time. Right. I have to say, and I do say it quite frequently, at least once or twice a month, that to all you devs listening and all you crypto builders listening, um, you just can't overlook the human factor of this stuff. Like, there's going to be people that don't want to use the best stuff just because they're that type of person. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody knows those kinds of people. Like, like for example, um, I, I know several people in my life that will refuse to watch the the best movie that came out that year because everybody went and saw it, and they're real hipster about it, and they're just gonna so be like, like it? I'm not gonna "Oh, like it. if everybody likes it, I don't like it. That movie is too whatever." Right? There's people out there that won't wear a really, really, really nice shoe because it has a Nike check on it. They they only wear Reebok, right? There's a human factor to this stuff. So I think, and then like also the fickle nature of humanity, like Corey said, like, I don't think the Ethereum one, I think it's short-sighted. If any Ethereum founder developed Ethereum without anticipating rapid influxes of users randomly, then that's just, even I could fucking, I wish I were standing in the room. Like, what do you mean you're not anticipating for that? Like, if you want this to be as awesome as it is, then you've got to anticipate that one night you might have 10,000 users and the next night you'll have 500. I mean, that's all software companies plan for that. Any good one does. It's not like you're just going to like, I'm going to make this for 15 people and then we'll just pick it up right there. You got to go with scale has to be at the forefront of every conversation if you're making software. So that's what I don't understand why they would not design it that way. I hope that they didn't. I hope that they actually did plan naivety. for this. But naivety. Sorry. I, could, I couldn't help myself. So let me, let me ask you like this question kind of gets hopefully to the heart of pos it doesn't matter how i guess i guess um let me let me see how i can condense this down you're only going to go as fast as your slowest validator that routes the most traffic what so for instance uh we were talking about like infrastructure costs like physical equipment costs exactly and Mm -hmm. and it's that idea that like if if we are depending on the consensus mechanism and depending on like you know whatever you know every blockchain is different in terms of how they weight validators in terms of how they get to some sort of finality of the next block aren't you going as fast as the slowest equipment that is permissioned I'm not sure if networks no. work that way. No. Like for some for some protocols, there's just a, just a threshold. You need to you need to be able to handle this many transactions, like messages per second. If you mm-hmm. meet that threshold, you're fine. And so matter. it's like and uh, it either yeah. does work or it does work. And some it's yeah, you're going at the slowest speed. Like that that's heavily dependent upon consensus. So like for ETH too, like what I'm trying to like, I'm trying to peel apart some of like the non-technical and trying to get it a little bit to the technical. So like, is there like this idea that we want Ethereum to, to be decentralized in such a way that you can run it on like a low power processor, like a Raspberry Pi and the design, uh, the design decisions kind of surrounding the way you create like these different ETH2 implementations kind of restrict how fast um i guess i guess that there are there are there are design design decisions where you you exchange speed for the for the whole community for everybody to be able to participate and yeah yeah something like that i guess so it's it's hard to make this argument for across all consensus mechanisms because it's different for like proof of work Right. So if you look at like how, if you're looking at like the big block versus small block argument in, mm-hmm. in Bitcoin, and then like, what was it uh, Craig Wright's CSV 
Satoshi's yeah. vision or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he went like the full full clip spectrum uh, uh, on, on one side of of the spectrum of like massive blocks and only a few validators that can handle that type of processing. Mm-hmm. And then the Bitcoin like Bitcoin proper's uh, design of keep them really small and then build layer twos on top of them such that passing information on the network is really easy and it's more amenable to more people being able to afford the hardware to, to process these transactions and have the bandwidth to do it. For proof of stake, mm-hmm. it's mostly around like traditional uh, Byzantine fault tolerant algorithms that are just like, if you can, if you have the bandwidth to pass this many messages around, mm-hmm. then you can pretty much do it. And now like the consensus doesn't work once you go over like a hundred actual participants validators that's why mm-hmm. you have like delegated proof of stake because the number of messages you have to pass gets like unwieldy and too much mm-hmm. in a, like a in like a global network mm-hmm. and so like how things scale as the number of validators increases or like the required hardware for participating mm-hmm. which is like uh like kind of bitcoin and bs and proof of work systems is is very different and the goal in my opinion if you if you want to stick with the original ideals of cryptocurrency is to allow as many people as possible to passively participate in consensus. Mm -hmm. So that way you don't end up with this like miners as a subgroup that have overwhelming powers in how the blockchain gets produced. Okay. I see. Uh, And there's, and there's, there's very few things that actually kind of get that done. Mm. So what's the what's the proportion of like participant nodes to like nodes that actually do validation like on say ETH two? I don't know. Uh, most of the so like if you're running an ETH two node, you have quite a bit locked up. The so thirty two ETH, which is a substantial investment, like that that those are going to serve as the majority of the nodes that are serving data for the for the rest of the network. There's not a lot of reason to run. I mean, there may be a reason later on down the line once we have state data yeah. to run a beacon chain node that isn't validating. Yeah. Um, how that how those nodes work out later on down the line is is interesting. It's like there's there's a whole pathway of like what data you're actually paying attention mm-hmm. to. And what, like for instance, because you have two different scaling costs. There's a lot of different scaling costs, right? Mm-hmm. There's participating in consensus, just mm-hmm. that, right? That has its own scaling cost depending upon what kind of consensus it is. For Bitcoin, it means I need to scale the mining hardware that I have to make right, it relevant. Right. And that's right. a whole economic argument. So right. we go into mm-hmm. months and months of conversation about that. For most of the proof of stake stuff, it's mostly like the upfront capital costs of putting things at stake. So like for F2, 32 ETH per validator. That's capital mm-hmm. that I put up. The hardware associated with that isn't that big a deal. So like there's run, not there's run, not like I a run certain run amount of throughput that the validator has. Like you can do yeah. 32 ETH on a Raspberry Pi, and there's no like you have to maintain currently. a certain amount of currently. So, so they could I, jack that up. That's what I mean. Like that's what I mean. And, and, and as you scale the number of validators that you're actually mm-hmm. running, yeah, that that doesn't have a lot of a lot of uh, like um, that doesn't make the beacon chain node your validator node work much harder. Okay. Right, just running a about a beacon chain node, keeping track of things, mm-hmm. is most of the work. Participating in being a validator mm-hmm. on a beacon chain node, you can have like thirty to a hundred validators on a single beacon chain node without making it sweat too much. So just participating in consensus, right, doesn't doesn't 
increase the hardware cost of scaling as you increase the number of validators in the network. I think I didn't know what a beacon chain. I, I like I don't know what. So so the beacon chain. There's I only one, right? There's one beacon chain. Yeah. But like but like that's one part. Like participating consensus mm. has its own scaling considerations. Gotcha. The rest of that is state data, which is drastically different. Okay. And for things like Ethereum, that has to keep track of smart contracts and under all their history mm-hmm. of state data and all the interactions that happen across all those things. Mm-hmm. That makes things incredibly more complicated and does scale based on what you're looking at. So the moment you include the data structure mm-hmm. and and all of its history is the moment you start having to really consider resource costs. Okay. And that's like, you know, big servers of SSD hardware. You look at like Filecoin. Well, Filecoin's a bit different, but like that's kind of why Bitcoin's nice in a way mm-hmm. is because all it gives a shit about is UTXOs. Mm-hmm. The state is UTXOs. That doesn't grow that fast because it can't do that much. Like so, Ethereum state data, that's huge. Like running an archive node, it's kind of difficult. It requires some hardware. So I got a segue, guys. Go for it. We got a segue into the interview. Is that your segue? Right. <laughs> well, you guys are going on and on. We got. You had questions. I'm answering. I got. A, I, got a show I like. To run, I like baby. these answers to my questions. I got. I got a show to run. Oh, we don't have the interview clip, so that's okay. Right. Okay. It's okay. We can keep going. Never mind. Never mind. It's all good. Um, I don't get clipped in for the podcast, not for this. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> um, what I do want to say some things. There's been some stuff in the private chat that we spoke to, and then there's some responses coming. So, one, um, there's been 105 Bitcoin forks, and you can catch them on forkdrop.io. Uh, 105? Most, yeah. So, most I of I didn't them, know that. I thought yes, there was only like maybe most of them 20. was like homeboy forking the code base and saying, I got a new fork. So most of them are really bad, like Bitcoin Cloud, Bitcoin Post Quantum, Bitcoin Top, Bitcoin Voto, Bitcoin United, Big Bitcoin, Bitcoin Candy, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Wonder, Bitcoin Super, I remember Bitcoin that. Pay, Bitcoin Hush, Quantum Bitcoin. Yeah. Is, are there any values to these? That's the thing. Supply probably like pennies. It's got to be um, pennies. No, some of these are price per token, 193, 67. Because of supply. The supply was adjusted down, probably. So that they'll always maintain some sort of dollar value. So there's people. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight with over a dollar value. No, sorry, nine. Okay. So there's nine of them with over a dollar value. There's two of them with over 10 cents value. Um, there's one, there's three of them over $50 value. Right. And so, um, that's a weird way of labeling them. I'm just going off the top of my head, just like looking at the information, trying to digest it. But uh, I was trying to bucket it into like how much fucking money Coinbase is sitting on because they have multiple copies of all of this stuff. Yeah. I'm Coinbase now. I'm not seeing all those. Exactly. There's a large class action lawsuit that exists right now. So law lawyers listening, you're fucking welcome to go <laughs> after Coinbase and try and get the that forked. Um, let's, not, let's not promote that. I don't want that to happen. I, I want to promote it. I don't want that to happen. Those things, those things are look, legitimate. I, I don't hold want my I, bros it's like accountable. A DDoS vector. I hold my bros accountable, baby. A DDoS vector? Well, how Coin, do you think it's going to come back and bite D in the butt? Coinbase not, is my not bro. D dots. Oh. 
DDoS is a decentralized. No, no, no. I know what a DDoS is. I'm, I'm asking you how do, how do you, how do you think that DNS? Oh, if, if, you, if, you, if you force them to respond to anything that gets forked, then people just fork it into oblivion, and then they have to respond to all of them. And they can't. No, what you're saying is I'm introducing toxicity into the community, into our city. In our city. <laughs> um, all right. That shit out of here. Like, there so should be a threshold of legitimacy for uh, them to have to respond. And I've, none of those things meet it. I've been been I've been watching uh Men in Black lately, and I wish I had one of those pins now where I could be like everybody. Yeah, neuralizer. Um by the way, those are well made movies, except for the most recent one with Tessa Thompson and uh that Australian guy who plays his Thor. Uh that one was trash. Liam? Yeah, uh, yeah, Liam. No, not Liam Neeson's. Chris no, no. About. Liam Hemsworth. Is that what his Liam, name is? Yeah, Liam Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Wait, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, it was Chris, wasn't it? Liam Hemsworth is the other guy who's not. Is it Liam Hemsworth? Bulky. It's his brother. Yeah, his brother. His brother. Man. Yeah. Um, I thought his brother was in the Men in Black one though. I typed Liam Hemsworth, and it said net worth girlfriend brother age. Those are my options for Google. Oh, there is the interview now. Should we cut to the interview? Is it there? Yeah, it's the, Alicia just said. We have That's the interview. Alicia? We now have the interview. And we're back with another one of the uh, the Bitcoin podcast interviews. Um, yeah, so we have... It's been a few weeks, right, Just since we had an interview drop. Yeah, I think it's been maybe two, two it's weeks. It's been a little while. And it's good to get back into the mix with the interviews, um, you know. So, well, without further ado, we're going to welcome uh, Mr. Joss Katz, the founder of Yellowheart. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, we gotta we gotta do the, the like you know run of the mill crypto interview stuff. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure you've done a lot by now, but here, let me see if I can give my best shot. So, you know, what were you doing before crypto and how did you fall down the rabbit hole? And, you know, <laughs> we've got to do that stuff. It's like par for the course. It's, it's just like saying sure, like it's a sure. No one actually cares, you know, can I just make something up? You can. Go for it. <laughs> I was trying, I was trying to the last 20 years, I drove a New York City yellow cab. And when Uber came about, I got into crypto. That was it. Nice man. So that was that was it. I cruised the city. Nice pivot. And you know, did my thing. And crypto was so addictive, I never looked back. Nice pivot. I feel like that was actually true, though. That's what I feel like. It, you know, it it is in a metaphoric sense. You know, I, I absolutely cruised New York City for twenty plus years in every single nook and cranny, looking just for the next thing. And at the end of the day, maybe we found it. Mm, nice. So. Let's 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 give some actual background. So you you <laughs> so you started in the music industry. I did. Um, oh. You know, pa- a passion for music. You know, from childhood onward, I'm a guitar player and music fanatic. Ma- major fishhead, uh, deadhead, into above and beyond. And you know, really, you know, music is just my you know everything that I live for. And, you know, I, I had had a company before Yellowheart called EL Media. And what EL Media did was we supplied custom background music, like elevator music. So before EL Media, there was a company called Muzak. And Muzak, if you know what that is, it's basically remakes of pop songs and other, you know, various songs that play as literal elevator music. 
and it's literally the worst music you could think of. So <laughs> my state of disruption in that space came when I basically started putting good music into restaurants and hotel lobbies and casinos and pools and stores and places like that. And I built up a business doing that from 2004 on. Prior to that, I had been in the traditional music business, as you go back a little further. Um, but really, my entrepreneurial stuff happened when I left the music business and started EL Media. And that company was just a journey for over a decade, where we ended up becoming a very large subscription music provider to people like Tao and Nobu and Four Seasons and all the biggest brands in hospitality. And then also, we would work with these same brands and we'd install, really design and then install and then maintain their speaker systems, their security systems, their, some some cases, you know, we got involved with POS and other technologies, but, you know, really as it pertained to music. So um, that company grew to a de decent size. And then actually in 16, I sold that company. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, I had already been into crypto and, you know, once I kind of got deeper down the rabbit hole into blockchain. Uh, that was it. You know, I knew that anything and everything I ever did going forward would be in a decentralized manner and there was no other alternatives. So I went looking for something that suited me and my particular skill set, my, you know, previous life of being involved in music and hospitality and nightlife and food and beverage and looked where blockchain could really fit. And this was back in like 16. So where it fit at the time was clearly in music rights and really where music should, will be going at this point. But at the time, you know, there was definitely resistance to any type of transparency in the music business. But another place that was very much the Wild West still was the ticketing space. So I geared Yellow Heart really at solving the problem for ticket scalping, which, you know, in 19 before COVID was 11 and a half billion a year in the US uh, between concerts, sports and theater pulled out of fans hands and not given to the artists, the teams, you know, that goes to this third party, like industry that we call scalpers, ticket scalpers, or they call themselves ticket brokers, or, you know, and it was the space that as a music fan, a sports fan, I'm like, okay, why does it cost me $600 to take my kid to a Yankee game. Like, what's up with that? Why does it cost me 500 bucks to take my wife to a concert? That's wrong. The tickets are like 120 each, you know? Like, what's up with that? It's literally double marked up. And I realized that there was just this rampant middleman population, this rent-seeking middleman that just was sapping the fans, not helping the uh, guys on stage in most cases. And I saw the use case and the blockchain 1.0 use case just made sense for application to eliminate, you know, fraud and counterfeiting and bad actors and just keep transparency in an industry that's run wrought with, you know, lack of transparency and lack of any type of fundamental ethics, quite frankly, an industry that's just gone off the rails. So I thought it could reel it back in and, you know, here we are. So I'm going to stop there. Hmm. So why can you like um, kind of go into like the small details about that third party leech? I mean, it's essentially a leech, right? And I've never yeah. been scouted before, but like, how how does it work? And 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 just how did you see that Yellow Hurricane like stop that shit from happening? So the way it works is what's called bots. And when you look at a company like Ticketmaster, 
they have very old technology and basically all bots are are you know computers that run faster than their computers so what they do is they do what's called bot attacks where they will go in and they will just attack it on sale and what they will do is they will move tickets into a waiting room for checkout and never check out and as they're getting ready to be redeployed they'll re pick them up and they'll just continue the process in some cases for days making it impossible for fans to actually buy tickets so if you ever go to an on sale for your favorite band through Ticketmaster, like you already know you're not getting tickets you know they'll push you right to their own secondary because what happened was is they were getting so beat up and what happens is the brokers send in these bots and then they buy the best seats in the house and then a potpourri of other tickets and they send them immediately to the secondary market um, once they go to the secondary market, they see what starts selling, and then they keep the bot game going on on the on sale. And then the fan who wants the Metallica ticket, the fish ticket, whatever it is, immediately is like, oh shit, it's sold out. And they go to the secondary. And now you're there. And in some cases, I've heard from bands like Metallica, it's gone on for days. I've heard from other people, shorter periods. But Ticketmaster has not done much to combat it. So when you dig in deeper, you start looking at like, okay, well, maybe there are other things going on there. And the onion just kind of keeps getting unpeeled. Mm. So they just buy up all the supply or lock up all the supply and then send it to their market where they can control in some cases it's bots in some cases it's the back door you know it just really is a potpourri of inconsistency in most cases going on and wheeling and dealing and it's a little bit like the wild west and no regulation and the irony of it is that the actual content owner the artist the performer the you know, the team owner, whoever it might be, they're generally out of the equation at that point. You know, the ticketing company might have pre-established the relationship and now they're out wheeling and dealing, yet they're making the team or the artist look horrible to their fans who want to just get a freaking seat and see their favorite artist. And it's next to impossible. Mm -hmm. well, I can see like that dynamic exists in a lot of different things. Like for instance, I'm into like keyboards in particular. Yep. And it's just like the shoe game where there are bots and they'll buy up supply and it's limited mm -hmm. and you go straight to secondary market and it's two to three X times the original value. So, so how in, in this case, think about this. So like yeah. in your shoes or your keyboards, they're, they're maybe in the shoes, it's a 5,000 drop, 10,000 drop, mm -hmm. you know, on an on sale for a concert, it could be 18,000, whatever the number is, those tickets didn't actually sell out. The bots are just not letting them get bought because they're going into perpetual checkout, beating up Ticketmaster for hours at a time. Mm -hmm. So, and then when the, the action settles down, it lets go. So then the band is stuck with inventory unsold. The fans think it's sold out. It's not. And things just get weird. And then what Ticketmaster does is reaction is they're like, oh, StubHub's listing those for 250 even though we only sold them for 100 So we'll just sell them for 250 mm -hmm. So you go in to buy a comparable seat. They scan all the other secondaries and see what they're selling for. And then they'll try to basically sell you a whatever they want to call it. I mean, I don't know what they even call it at this point. Um, at that same price and that's kind of what's going on but there's no transparency for the fan is the problem and the reality is is that the consumers at this point are not stupid people know what they're getting into and when you're dealing with the arts and an artist and a fan like mm. if you're a fan of somebody don't you want to be treated right don't you want to be acknowledged don't you want to be part of a community 
That's where NFTs come in, I'd imagine. If you got there the you NFT, go. you've got it tied to your address, mm-hmm. you're a bona fide fan, then they just you see the ticket straight to your straight to your wall and you get a fair price. And it doesn't end with tickets. It is basically is the entire community building. So that's what, you know, a major focus of what Yellow Heart's doing right now is working with artists, building true communities and communities where we understand the fans and there's a true symbiotic relationship with no friction between artists and fans. Because that's all the artists want and it's all the fans want. And things just got way too polluted the last two decades. So how does how does the NFT how, how do, what are like the steps in which like introducing an NFT to selling tickets for a, a certain artist uh, prohibit or inhibit the ability for that spam attack to like, you know, Ticketmaster? So essentially what we're, what we're doing is we're issuing a token on a public chain and someone's claiming ownership into a wallet. So if you think about it, if that token then sits in that wallet, there could be a redeemable fraction, which is a barcode that comes up and it answers you for redemption. And then you still own the token. So all we're basically doing is issuing tokens where some are redeemable and some are not. They're redeemable for that show. It could be multiple shows. It could be redeemable for multiple things over multiple time and then resellable. So, you know, we're getting into all of this experimentation right now around using the technology. And that's something that we've really been trying to push at Yellow Heart is projects that innovate use of blockchain technology. And it's something that, you know, it's hard to get through the clutter because you have a lot of people that are just kind of running at this, trying to make money. And it's completely the wrong approach and an approach that we just don't support at all. Actually, we're looking at it from an innovative standpoint, where all we want to do is push innovation here and try different models, try different projects that use the technology to push the the music, the, the transparent model for artists and fans forward in different models. So, you know, for instance, we just launched a DAO with Maroon 5, which is the use of, you know, that type of technology. Uh-oh. Yeah, with Maroon 5, you know, and these are this is an example, like where we just want to push these boundaries, you know, and that's kind of what we think needs to happen. Because what's going to happen before we realize what the standards are, is we're going to have to play around a little bit. And that's kind of where we are right now. I mean, you got to remember, like, nobody knew what this stuff was until like three months ago. Yeah, so, wise, yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, people, it came out in what, 2017? Yeah, in 2017, the NFT token. So, thing. so my That's question when we is launched. Like, yep. That the specifics are like, do you guys have like a cooldown timer on the ability to resell the NFT that, say, for like a, I don't know, Madonna concert ticket or something? No. no. Anything we mint, you know, if it's on, you know, whatever chain it's on, it's free to go. So I guess what's what's preventing like a second market, a secondary market from developing? No, we in, hope in one from, does. We want in, them to. We want fair trade, but we want transparency. So when you go to buy, you can go in and see the ledger on Yellow Heart and see where the pricing has been. But won't see you get it, like the tickets? Like they'll still go up in price, right? From retail. They will, but it will be a true supply and demand driven marketplace, not a highly manipulated marketplace. Okay, I see what you're saying. So you're just mm. removing the 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 fake the manipulation i see yeah there's still gonna be manipulation well it will be a different kind right right. the manipulators are it'll be clear who they are because we all know that like you know everyone thinks they're anonymous on a blockchain but they're not not, so like let's call it what it is it's only a matter of time before your hexadecimal has your name attached to it and your social security number so like at the end of the day your id is not safe walk down any city in the world you're getting hit by 50 cameras every 12 feet so like you know, do you guys have like uh like 
you have to jump through some like KYC AML hoops in order to get an address to receive the NFT? Or can you just, can I just spin like infinite addresses and I can just keep generating new identities? No, we, we do. We do need that. So, and it really depends on the type of NFT. You know, it's a lot of the stuff we've been doing has been promotional. Um, a lot of it's collectible. So, you know, we're, we're in an interesting space right now. Okay. Mm. I can you know, really tell that you're from New York, by the way. I went, yeah, why, I, I went recently and just because you're straight to the point. You're like, let's get real here. You're not an yeah. artist. Like, let's just stop playing that game. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's a nice dream to have every night, you know, but come on. Yeah. There, well, there's some change that chains that that are anonymous, but I think that society. See, the thing is, I think most of the people that build in this space dramatically underestimate the human element. And the human element, society is naturally going to like put the decipher the red ants from the black ants, right? They're going to say, okay, you use that super anonymous blockchain. Well, I'm not sending you any of my money because <laughs> that's fucking weird. Like, that's just what people are going to do. We can't stop that natural human behavior. Like, oh, you only deal in $100 bills and giant piles of cash? That's weird. I'm just going to go buy my couch over there just you know like that's it's just it's <laughs> that's what people do and so it's just funny that you that people live under this guise that like blockchain is going to stay hyper anonymous it's going to be pseudonymous forever so yeah 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 listen we love it so listen we're, as i said we're just trying to do projects that innovate we're trying to push the boundaries of this technology and find the norms which will come out in time and, uh, you know, we're really trying to help the music business. And we think that the artists deserve it. They deserve to monetize. They deserve to really, you know, sell direct to their fans. And they deserve to keep all of the money. They've been getting, you know, the reverse of it for way too long. And every artist I, I speak to, it's the exact same story. It's like a broken record. Mm. So I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into two things. The first thing is, how was it like shepherding that Kings of Leon NFT sale? Um, what was that experience like? And then the second thing is going to be Maroon 5 and Dow are thing, two things I'd ever heard in the same sentence until today right now. So I need to understand what Adam Levine is up to. Yeah, I'll right. tell you. I'll tell you. We'll tell you. Um, all right. So Kings was... Um, yeah, Kings of Leon was epic. I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome drop in so many senses of it because, listen, I'll just tell you, I circulated the music business since the beginning of COVID, going to every artist saying, let me put out your NFT, let me put out your NFT, let me put out your NFT. And I was talking to everybody last summer and running around and explaining what they were. And I prepared this deck that a lot of people saw. That was me. It's like six pages that we called NFT 101. And it was like, this is what an NFT is. And I'd like play like a mad dog Jones, like NFT. And, like, and it's just like, and I went and I literally like showed this thing over Zoom like last spring and summer to like everybody. And people were like, why would I need to do that? I don't get it. Like, it was just kind of like crazy. And finally, like Kings of Leon's manager, Andy Mendelson, who's a brilliant guy, caught it and he was like you know he had already been very into our ticketing platform our you know our, and had wanted to use that before covid and as i spoke to him he just got it like straight up you know where a lot of people you know including people very close to the company like who should have been using it weren't he understood he was like this is dope this will be sick do you think i could do it with with kings and i was like 
hell yeah, let's go. So he, <laughs> he brought in the most creative people around uh, this company night after night. They're amazing. And they had been collaborating with the Kings of Leon for 13 years as artistic graphic collaborators, you know, with their logos and their tour posters and album covers and T-shirts and everything. So the, the whole team was there. The new album was there. The band's working on new music. They're all synced up creatively. Like, it was all, like, right there, you know, like the ball was ready to dunk almost. And um, we just brought it out. And when we brought it out, it was just, you know, the type of thing where Andy and I were literally play by playing this for weeks and weeks ahead. And when we got up to the beginning of March, things had been frenzying in the NFT space, you know, think about it, like through February, things were just like fire. And, you know, we put it out and the industry caught caught it and it kind of just went and it really made a watershed moment because people realized that this technology was the real deal and it could actually foster in tremendous innovation and fix a lot of problems that have been broken for content creators everything we've all known everything we've all been preaching inside of you know the blockchain universe but the mainstream never understood so what i had thought about long and hard last year was i need to show the world a use case because if I don't show them a significant use case, they'll never understand it because this stuff's hard to understand to most people, right? So when we showed the use case, we were able to get over 5,000 people to come buy their first NFT ever, like in mm. that week, you know? So the, the use case was cool. And anyway, it went on to be, you know, pretty awesome. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, took notice of it being the first NFT album and first NFT ticket of all time and inducted them and put them up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where they are now, which is just like unbelievable. Andy and I were just like, oh my God, like how did this happen? This is like, it's like a, just a dream that we were like, you know, throwing around like, you know, my whack, what he considered, I guess my kind of crazy ideas I was throwing at him last summer, you know, that, but we did it. And like, we know coming from our world that it made sense, but I think a lot of that had to do with timing. So, um, is that kind of what we were wanted to talk about on Kings? Because I, yeah, um, I just wanted the backstory of it. Just that was the backstory. Yeah. And it came out and it blasted off and just like everything about it really went right. The packages were right. The, and I'll tell you the coolest part of this drop has been the community. The fans of Kings of Leon are amazing. And it, from like every level of it, where the people that bought the the tokens or the albums have just been so cool to interact with that we've given them free tracks. We offered them all uh, really good seats to for the markets a few weeks ago, where in fact, actually, we got the link from Ticketmaster and they actually gave us not great seats, which I apologize to the fans for. Not cool, but that was not our fault. It was Ticketmasters. Um, but, you know, once again, there you go. So, like, at the end of the day, that's been a really cool thing. So it's community building, and the band has been extremely happy with the fact that this community evolved. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue with it. We'll continue. And the Kings really get it. Now they see the power of it. And the reality is, is that it was over, you know, 2 million generated on the sale just on the primary market. Since this initial sale, there's been secondary sales as well, where the, where all of the albums are numbered. So the number one fifty dollar album sold for ten ETH about a month ago, a little over a month ago. So yeah, so you know, and that will continue to happen, of course. So it's you know, it's a really cool dynamic, and it's super young space. So we'll see. But the Kings were definitely like 
an unbelievable drop and something that, you know, we were so happy we could just prove this case and show the world that NFTs and music are very real. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be real power. Jesse, I didn't interrupt you, did I? Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I, I, I have like detailed questions about like the, the steps involved, you know, like those are, that's where my questions are going to kind of come from. All right, let me get into this Adam Levine shit first. Yeah, you, you ask your generic ones. I need to, uh, I need one, for before we go too deep into it, I'd like to ask Mr. You, I'd like to ask you, Josh, that like, why did he not do anything with songs about Jane? What's going on there? Like, he dropped songs about Jane and it just took the world by storm and it's just been like, I just feel like he needs to reconnect. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell him exactly what you just said as soon as we're done. I, I hope that you do. I I'm going to do it I'm going to pick up my phone. I, I, why wouldn't I? It's, I you know? <laughs> tell him that that album, I, I think it's his apex. I think it's the very best album that, that Maroon 5's ever done. I've listened to it probably 550 times, <laughs> at least according to Spotify. And that was before Spotify came out. It's, so. it's just one of the greatest albums of all time. It really is such a classic when it came out. I was a huge fan at that time, too. It's an incredible album. And it's actually, just so you know, it is coming up on the 20th anniversary of it. It is. Yes. Um, so, yeah, audience, if you didn't know me, I'm a huge Maroon 5 fan. Don't uh, you know? Lose your shit, Jesse. Why are you laughing? What's so funny? Like I didn't I know can't that. Just, I can't just be honest with my. No, no, you, uh, you, no, be you should be. You should be. Let me tell you these these NFTs we're doing. So we have um, three NFTs up for sale right now at Yellowheart.io, and the NFTs are dope. <laughs> They're super dope, and they actually are bundles of the band that open up into six NFTs. So for the purchase of one, they actually unbundle into six. There's sketches of each band member, including Adam. There's floral designs of each band member. And there's also a um, surprise NFT that's so dope that you get if you buy both bundles as a bonus. And yeah, if you're, an NFT, if you're a Maroon 5 fan, these things are dope. And we all know that in the future, this is the valuable merch. This is the authentic stuff. This is from the source you know this is what it's going to be in the same way you show up with like you know whatever piece of memorabilia or incredible sports or concert stuff you might have now in physical format so uh, i could just see so many awesome things like imagine in a world where you show up with your wallet and they scan it and they see how many different nfts you have so it gives you exclusive access to certain shirts exclusive access to certain things at the concert like you, you it's get really it dude. like it's it's in, nfts are going to be massive but the only thing is that if you're in the nft market right now and you're teaching yourself these things how they work know the subtleties of the tech which i'm pretty sure jesse's about to ask and also know that it's not a hyper liquid market in the sense that you know, like, like comic books, like every once in a while, every, every once in a while, comic books markets just go through the roof. Everybody's like, you know what? I'm in Spider-Man this year. I'm going to go see how much that Spider-Man costs. You're so right. You're so right. NFTs are going to ebb and flow. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, here's the thing, you know, when you look at Maroon 5 in particular, I'll just tell you that there are NFTs for sale right now through Friday. And then there's also the DAO and the DAO is a completely different instrument. 
the DAO is going to go in three phases. Right now, it's in what's called the seed phase, where you could do you put twenty five in and you get a token. Next, it's gonna it's gonna uh, go to the next phase, um, and then it's going to go to what's called the living phase. And the living phase, oh, the next phase is the sprout phase, and then from the sprout, it's going to go to the living on September first. The living phase of this will be a living flower that blossoms and wilts based on the carbon index and when there's more carbon in the environment the flower is going to wilt when there's less it will fl- it will blossom and through and that will represent membership in the dow and as a member of the dow you will have one equal vote on environmental charities that maroon 5 and eventually the community will bring to the dow community to fund and it will go through the maroon 5 fan base and hopefully all expand over time where we'll be able to help environmental and social impact and other important charitable organizations. So the whole part, the whole meaning behind the Maroon 5 DAO is really to unite the community to help others and help the environment. And that was the message and why they did it with us. Nice. I'm going to pass it to you, Jess. So what do you think? Yeah. Um, oh, oh shit! I'm getting nervous. What's up? Yeah, no, no, no. Like I'm about so to I, get like hit, hit or something. No, no. So, so like, so like the there's always you got so, a reputation now. No, I, I'm no, feeling that's, that's not even that. Just the, vibe, the vibe coming through the screen. Oh my god, no! Like I'm, I'm just gonna ask you questions about like feasibility, like in terms of oh, like, okay, oh. so like, so like for instance, there's a cost for people to attack Ticketmaster, right? There's a cost that it's costing the people who are spamming Ticketmaster, right? They're literally spending their own money in hopes that they'll drive up ticket sales so that they'll be able to make a buck in the future, right? Um, well, you know, they're buying inventory and prohibit and stopping others from obtaining it at the same time. Right. So there's like an inherent risk to what they're doing. Um, I, all it, 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 there is a risk, absolutely. But um, there's, there's more to it Yeah. that might cross lines I don't want to get into right now, but, okay. you know... As, and I'll just refer to it as the back door. Okay. So my my question is like the NFT stuff. What a lot of people don't think about is the posterity of that information that's stored costs something. And yep. being able to guarantee, you know, um, it'll be there for forever is something that not a lot of people who mint NFTs uh, think about, right? wherever whenever they're using i don't know like there's there's this one platform i'm looking at using uh called pinata and you know i don't know what their data rates are for you know however much use the nfts i mint will will have but uh, i guess what i'm getting at is there's always like there's always going to be like a like a a cost that is inherent to using nfts that is always going to be kind of bleeding the system as a whole how do you like maintain it so that the value kind of appreciates more than it depreciates with all of the costs of all of the infrastructure to put everything together. Wow. All right. I take everything back. That was an incredible question. Um, so this is what I think. I think it's about quality control. And if you notice a yellow heart, we haven't put that many drops out and we've turned away 99.9% of them that we could have put out. And the reason is, is that we don't want to burn energy. We don't want to harm the environment, even though we're on, you know, Matic, so we're layer two. But like at the end of the day, you have to be careful with what you're doing with this technology. You can't be, you know, running around like, with, you know, just 
minting, like for no reason. You need to mint responsibly. And if you're going to mint responsibly, then you'll put out content that will have longevity and meaning. If you just throw crap out because you can, then it's going to be a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. That kind of answers my question. Um, another question, kind of like a different edge. Um, so like NFTs have value, will have more value as you can, you know, kind of interact with them. As it currently stands, the way that most people interact with NFTs are through like a browser or like some sort of web app, right? Where they can kind of see like a 2D image of it kind of spinning around. It's a 3D model potentially with some music. Um, but basically it's just, it's limited to the computer screen. Now, I, I, you probably know there, there are different metaverses out there, right? Where you can kind of port over your NFT representation. Now, I'm curious if if it's been thought about in terms of like, for instance, you said you were building on Matic. Uh, if say fans want to participate in like, let's say Decentraland, but let's say the mana cost goes up and gas costs goes up, go up such that they can't port over their NFTs and they can't really enjoy them. Have you guys like thought about like potential solutions to that stuff? Yeah, you know, I I would really defer more to that over to some other people on our team. But yes, we're always thinking about things like that. It's actually all we think about, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's something that we're obsessed with. Um, and we've, we actually, you know, when we were originally designing Yellow Heart, and this was like back in 18, yeah. we, the approach we had, we had taken was that, and you have to remember what things were like back then. In, in 18, EOS and Ethereum were like the same thing. If you could think mm -hmm. about that, right? Mm -hmm. So think of like put that in perspective. So when we were thinking about this, then we didn't believe that there would maybe be one major winner, or we thought different blockchains would be good for different things. At the time, private blockchains were also a thing, you know, you know, and obviously they have their place today too. But we we made we always designed everything to be interoperable where we could potentially work across multiple chains. So that's just kind of the approach that I took to it saying, okay, you know what? Um, Polkadot looks amazing. Let's make sure we have an integration there. And when they have projects that are actually, you know, commercially, you know, viable and things are really moving in that environment and as it goes, which is happening as we speak, that environment is exploding and, you know, huge fan of Polkadot, you know, think that it's just amazing. And like, that's an environment we'll want to play in, but we'll also want to be on Ethereum. And, you know, we're running on layer two until, you know, you know, proof of stake and like all of these things and just kind of going with where the territory is going right now and kind of sure. just trying to be part of the community and be part of what's going on. How, do you guys have, do you have any ideas on like, this is like also kind of like personal kind of asking you a question. Do you guys yep. have any, any ideas of how you're going to bridge NFT assets like cross different chains? Like, like, you know, how we, we wrap ETH or wrap Bitcoin? Yeah, we do. Um, it's stuff that, you know, frankly, is just, you know, internal right now. I'm just not going to oh. talk about it on the podcast, but I will tell you, we absolutely do. Cool. Yeah. What are, what are some of the most... Um, I guess creative things that you see coming down the pipeline as to how these artists are using the power of, of the NFT. Like uh, the sky's the limit, literally, quite literally. Like what are some of the most unique uh, schemes? Because it it's what it is. It's a scheme, you know, it's, and I don't mean scheme in a very, I know there's negative connotations to the word scheme, but when I think of scheme, I think of like, I don't know, a diagram 
of a watch or something. Like a schema. Like, you mean you you like mean schematic? Like schematic, schematic. right? <laughs> schema. Maybe I say schema, but like you know what? I guess models. What are some of the most unique models that you've seen? So, you know, we're seeing various stuff. Most of the ideation actually comes from the Yellow Heart team. We've seen a lot of artists coming in who want to be involved. Some have great ideas. Maroon 5 had a great idea. The Dow idea was theirs, not ours. Um, you know, we were able to execute it, but, you know, they understood enough Jesse from Maroon 5. And at the end of the day, they're coming in saying, I want to be in this game, teach us. And what we're doing is we're looking at long tail engagements where we're saying, okay, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And we're going to teach you how to monetize your fan base right now. But we're not going to try to like blow it out on day one. We're going to teach the fan base because, you know, I look back to a time where there was file sharing at the time and then download and then streaming adoption in the music business, right? And the industry didn't say, let's teach the fans how to use this and pay for it. They shut it down and it didn't work. And Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, all these companies were born, Netflix, okay? And the Hollywood studios and the content owners in the music business didn't own distribution where they could have, right? If they would have went with it. So I see it where the end of the day, Yellow Heart is going to pioneer and it's already happening where we're teaching music fans how to buy music again. And we're teaching artists how to sell music again. And the most likely thing to happen is whoever owns that content will want to own that distribution. You know, I would be remiss if I allowed Yellow Heart to become a centralized company where we were controlling the means of the money to the artist, I think it has to remain decentralized and eventually become completely autonomous. And that's the only way this is going to work correctly for an artistic community who deserves transparency and to keep the money for their works in perpetuity. Mm. It's cool that you committed to this, this long to, the like this it, the thing people don't understand about crypto and this for anyone new listening is that it's an endless abyss of information and an endless abyss of innovation right so if you find something you really like cling on to it and really become an epicenter of knowledge for it because eventually if the mechanics work well enough it'll start paying in dividends and i'm sure that yellow heart has had a very fantastic 2021 with all of the amazing projects that are coming your way and yeah shit what did you say that nft sold for the kings leon one so we we so that we did um you know we minted 6500 roughly um Kings of Leon albums. It was over a two week period. They were $50 each and they came with redeemable ex uh, exclusive limited edition vinyl. Um, so the number one $50 album sold for 10 ETH. Uh, I believe it was in early May. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if it uh, traded again. Interestingly enough, is somebody staked a hundred, was it, how much was it? It was like 150K at the time. I don't remember where the ETH price was. Someone staked 150 uh, 50k for number one the week after the sale closed and, and nobody took it uh so it was in a contract yeah so it's interesting the number seven album i believe went i know it went for 11 
I went for fifteen hundred, and then I went for eleven thousand shortly after the sale closed. Also, and they're numbered, and it's cool because they're limited edition numbered, and they're going to live in perpetuity. Now the collection's been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame; it's there now. So, like, think about that as an owner. Plus, I can tell you now, the Kings of Leon token holders, and as that community grows, um, they're going to be rewarded. We're going to continue working with the band. Like, all we have meetings weekly with Kings of Leon's management about what can we do for token holders, what can we do for token holders. Literally, it's like an obsessive thing we have at yellow heart around everyone we're working with with zoo and with you know you know and particularly the kings now maroon five it's like what could we do for the people buying tokens we want to give them more once they buy it we want to just keep feeding them more cool stuff and access and just things you know for doing this mm-hmm. with us you have to obsess over it though it's almost like you have to oh. because a thousand ideas you get one two good ideas in there and you're selling one damn entity for for, for 10 ETH. So yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's like, crazy. Want to hear something crazy? Yeah. So check this out. So for XXX, the Tassion, who, you know, we minted over 29,000 NFTs over the five-day sale period. Now, the vast majority of them were free. And a lot of them were these 24-hour moments. So we did these NFT moments of X live that went for 24 hour periods. Now, I'm gonna give you a little bit of backstory because I think it makes this even better so you understand this. So if you look at X, okay, X opened for Kendrick Lamar. He obviously did his own shows as he was coming up, but once he got really big, he did one tour. And the tour was, he could have been selling out arenas and he played gymnasiums. And it was in the South in July. And the you know the arena the gymnasium sizes were like two thousand that he could have been selling twelve thousand, and people were not getting in and the shows were insane. And then in the middle of the tour he was murdered, so essentially nobody ever saw him live. And he's one of the most prolific performers of all time. And like plus when they went out on tour there was no film crew, no video, nothing. So the only video of him live that existed was off of his his uh, you know close knit circle cell phones. So we took the video of him live and we made these moments and it was off of the cell phones of the people closest to him. Mm. And the moments are incredible. And we gave them away for free for 24 hour periods. If you go on OpenSea right now, they're listed for like thousand dollars. Now the NFT. Now, guys, I don't know. It's so early in the game. I don't know if those will ever sell for that much, or maybe they'll sell for more. I just don't know. And, you know, as we roll out this world here, let's see what happens. I think we're all kind of steering the ship right now, and we need to step up and support the great content and understand that we're changing the arts and that it's a community-driven thing where everybody who's part of this decentralized world, and if you're in the arts, you need to commit to the decentralized artistic world using companies like Yellowheart and other amazing companies like Audius and other, like there's all these cool decentralized companies because you're going to end up owning your copyright, making more money, and having just like a much better career as a creator. I, I gotta, I don't even want to say anything. I just want to leave that right there. Okay. And, we, and, right. We wind, and we wind down the interview. I mean, I'm going to say something, obviously. I can't shut up. I have a podcast. But I think it's like, um, I really do think that what we've stumbled upon is a unique time where not just the artist gets to benefit monetarily from their talent, right? A fan can benefit 
from just being for just being a fan um which is nobody gave a shit that i was a maroon 5 fan until i get these nfts baby and then they'll give <laughs> then yeah give you dude anyone who gets in this dow i am telling you now i know already you're getting insider info here you're gonna get hooked the f up i'm telling you now dow dow people in the maroon 5 dow like think about it like do you think maroon 5 if you're in their dow and we're coming to your town like you don't think you're gonna get tickets you don't think like i'm not, I'm not making any guarantees by the way on their behalf i just want to be clear about that but like at the end of the day think about it like we're community building here and we're community building over doing good and and doing right and helping people that need help you know people are hurting now and i know the band recognizes it and yellow heart recognizes it and like we're very into giving back and helping people that need help right now because that's what it's really all about all right you should join it d and let me know what you get <laughs> hey if i can get a songs about jane nft i swear i'll buy it yesterday let them know um Uh, yeah uh, so jesse jesse has a trademark question i've got a trademark question and then we'll we'll we'll, uh let you have a good evening or (laughs) if you are in the states maybe yeah i am i am all right cool all right mic i just want to make a shout out that mic is absolutely rocking right now and back and better than before almost because there's outdoor dining everywhere less traffic place is just fire right now it's awesome Dang. You got to go to New York, Jesse, if you've never been. I've never been. It's, yeah. it's, you got to go. Like, I thought it was, I thought it was all mythology too. And I went like two months ago now and I was like, yeah, this place is cool. This place is it really is. cool. It is. And frankly, it's almost like COVID, like washed it out. It's kind of crazy. It's really even better now. Interesting. Go for all it, right. Jeff. Here, here's the, uh, here's the first question. Is what you do actually difficult? Or hard is this however you want to no, no no i mean for me or for you no for you it's it, i just live eat breathe i dream about what i do at night it's just you know inherent to what i'm doing every day i'm just doing what i love damn i love, I love your nonchalant hyper focus i know you have to have nonchalant hyper focus because that's like the perfect description of someone who's like man this elevator music sucks balls like it can be better like let's we've got to do something about this like everybody else in the elevator is like i just gotta get to the 17th floor honestly i'm sitting in a restaurant five seconds yeah you know you you know you go to restaurants you don't just like eat and leave you're like having cocktails you're hanging out you're you know you're like this music is ass and and at the same time everyone you know is suddenly a dj right so it's like (laughs) you know nonchalant hyper focus um my my question is uh, a question we've been asking for years now and that is in 10 words or less can you describe an nft non-fungible token no, i'm kidding um um <laughs> get out, yeah. get out. Yeah. <laughs> um freedom Wow. Okay. That's the second time that answer has been used. The first time it was used, it was for Bitcoin. This one's specifically for NFTs. So I like it. Um, Well, Josh, thank you very much for swinging by the show this evening. Um, I'm glad that, you know, in the sea of information there is about all things crypto these days, um, you kind of keep, you know, the blinders on and like, look, I just want to be the best at NFTs. I want to continue to innovate 
different projects with different people and see what we can build with with this technology so you know that's off to you and uh congratulations on what's probably been an amazing year i can i am I'm, I'm only assuming from lots of things but you know congrats and thanks for coming by guys such a pleasure i just want to tell you i'm a big fan and it's really an honor to be here so thank you oh Damn. You're making me blush. <laughs> You're making me blush. Josh, okay. Josh, wait, wait. Stick around after we end the, end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you some questions, not about crypto, actually about audio. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. I know too much. I know too much about audio. <laughs> what is Thamos? What is that? Oh, name? Man, that's old wow. school. That's so old Thamos, school. Thamos was the original moderator of the R slash Bitcoin on Reddit. And oh, okay. he was the one that started introducing censorship into the subreddit hmm. for R slash Bitcoin. And we thought it would be a good idea for about five to 10 episodes to call him Bitch Made randomly throughout the show because he was owns bitcoin talk too yeah and he owned he also owns bitcoin talk so like uh, he was he was censoring i got censored by him i personally got censored by him i put a post up and it was just zapped and i was like what well, the fuck i didn't even say anything i just said that maybe big blocks is not such a bad idea and it got zapped like immediately mm-hmm. so i was like oh wow they are censoring people in there and that's kind of like I don't know that that what one thing bitch I will made. say that it's bitch made right and one thing that Satoshi did say that has really come true and like is why crypto is as chaotic as it is today the to date is he was like once the hard fork of Bitcoin is gonna spell like I can't really I don't know what's gonna happen after that he was like when when Bitcoin hard forks like it could be cataclysmic and make everything go to zero and this whole experiment's done or it's it's new crypto's new from that point forward and i think satoshi is very right about that like crypto has been new since bitcoin hard forked really hard to have bitcoin classic and or sorry bitcoin bitcoin cash big what was it called that everybody hated like you might get fought bitcash no bcash Bcash, if you call it Bcash, you know. Yeah, so got so mad about that. I'll say it made a quite a big, like, uh, maybe like understanding that you can have a contentious hard fork, and both networks can survive and live on and be separated and continue on developing in different directions, Mm -hmm. and the users of the original chain end up with like multiple coins, which then made it uh, an argument for people to say, why don't we just fork things and try and convince people otherwise that we're, we're legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, that wasn't really a thing, like, right? Like beforehand, it was like, let's fork the code base, start a new network, and then try and convince people to use that and mine it. And then see if we could pump and dump that. And I was like, how can we convince them to fork the code base? That's basically an airdrop for most people. Like it's, the, it's almost the equivalent of an airdrop because the same address in a lot of ways has coins in it. They just need to go 
claim them and do something with them. And the more that people claim and do something with them, the more it legitimizes volume of that of that network, which then they can then boost as we're legitimate because there's a bunch of volume, mm-hmm. regardless of whether people are just trying to sell mm-hmm. the shit out of it, right? Like, and so like that type of uncertainty and complexity and 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 weirdness leaves a lot of room for people to start doing scams or like trying new things. And and that was the first time I think that really happened. Oh, we've got Batman here, so take care yeah, of you guys. Batman's here to <laughs> see the uh, see the bat the bat light thing, you know? Yeah. I do wish uh, we're that supposed was to do Batman's a commercial with our, with our flaming hot Cheetos and we all forgot them. Oh we my all god, forgot the flaming hot Cheetos! I destroyed, I destroyed the bag that I bought for the for the commercial. I just Jesse, I, I swear, them. I wish I you have my Batman. Cheetos. And when you hopped on the scene, you would say like, "Hey, I'm here. I see the little light. I see it. I see the bat light up there. I'm here. What's up? We got some justice that needs to go down, or oh, Daniel has two bags." Daniel's Daniel's waiting to eat them too (laughs) like Batman is you know why you can't be Batman bro you have a very very recognizable mole right above your lip there nah dude they'll never know they'll never know they'll never know have you seen look at this Clark Kent just takes his glasses off I mean let's be real hey in his defense I look starkly different with or without my glasses yeah I've never recognized you with glasses on uh, so. just like you're just a regular ass black dude with glasses on. Mm-hmm. So why are your eyes glowing now, Jesse? I don't. You know it, the danger is here. <laughs> I can I can sense. It's like my spidey senses. It's like Batman though. You can't cross the universes like that, bro. Oh, okay. This is, it's DC or it's Marvel. Pick one. All right. all right let's wrap up Uh, yeah all right we got a city wrap if you like this episode uh please do the things oh we got our i gotta gotta go to go go to do the spiel at the spiel here do your thing uh so what do we what do we got going what do we got uh so uh patreon become a patron go to the go to patreon.com slash the bitcoin podcast and uh become a patron all right, join the Slack. Go to the BitcoinPodcast.com. <laughs> Can't concentrate with you in that Batman cowl. All right, here I got you. Here we go. Okay, hey, I got a question. Yeah, what's up? Uh, I have this thing. Hold on, I get past all this shit that I have. Like, so that's some like. What is that? Drywall on it. This is, is that a grid a, plus? This is a grid plus. What the fuck, man? I wanted one of those. They told me how to do all kinds of shit. I got the safe card and I got the actual lattice one. Should we do a giveaway? So I'm gonna no fuck that. That's mine. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm this gonna, is. This is I'm smart do like fun, a, right? I'm gonna do an opening. No, and I'm gonna no, do no. a bunch of no. um, kind of like, wallet. I'm gonna test it. In a lot of ways. I'm gonna make sure that it works oh, as intended okay. and see if I can break it without actually like opening it up because it has it has tamper like tamper evidence type stuff so that if you if you open it up and, and break one of those those, those tamper things it'll break the whole system make it unusable uh so i'm not going to do that because i actually want to use it unless they decide to give me a new one then i will try that but how do you want to how do you want to do this content well, well first of all i Wait, want one too and do so that. does jesse so how did you get yeah. those because we want them i'll take one yeah what Watch the hell on twitter bro 
What, what do you mean? That I, asked, mean? I asked Crit Plus. I was like, hey, I want to break the, the last one. They're like, hey, all right, we'll send you one. And that's what I have happened. 20 followers on Twitter, Corey. Oh, you're not gonna you're not gonna get there. <laughs> well, I'm right behind you, think, Corey. I might be able to get one. Well, they're also looking for security researchers to just try and break last one. Mm. I don't think I can physically try, try and break it. with a hammer is what they're looking for. Yeah, I'm going to, hey guys, I'm going to drop your grid plus from three stories up. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to trick it to do things it shouldn't do. Uh, okay. To try and find ways that they didn't, they didn't like think about. You're going to hit it with a hammer. So like, that's, I got that's a question why I have for you. One. Just let me know yes or no. If you do find a way to break it, can you tell them I found that way to break it so I can get paid that bounty? No. <laughs> okay. Just question. But, <laughs> but it will go to whatever we end up making with the, the Bitcoin podcast now. If you break it and they give you a bounty payout. If I get any bounties, it's going down. to the podcast. Put it down. All right. If, so I get, anyway. if, I get, if I get any money from breaking this or any bounties associated with it, it'll go towards the Bitcoin podcast network and its community. We should make a shirt that says, put it in a DAO. Put it in a DAO. I think Alicia can just like clip that and then send that waveform to D. Put it in a DAO. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, uh, uh, iTunes reviews. Here's one. Oh, that's a lot. Is it fitting? Here's an example of an iTunes review that you can give. Okay. And I'm going to read what it's supposed to say because I don't think it's all fitting, Alicia. Uh, but it says, oh, you, oh, I see what you're trying to do here. It says, Corey Dimitri hosts the Bitcoin podcast. Where's Jesse? I, I'm, I'm like uh, omitted from all of these reviews for, like for better or for Jesse's worse. Really here. Uh, why is Corey Dimitri hosts? We only keep him around for his hair. Highlights all aspects. Yeah, that's the only reason. Let it loose, Jesse. All right, the host ex- expert guests offer insightful advice and information that's helpful to anyone that listens. Erica Bushwell via Apple Podcasts. She was in the United you, States of America. Thank you, Erica. Yeah, so we give us you. a review like that. Not like wartime BCV who was basically like, Corey is a bitch, he's a cook, I'm going to kill him. We were like, what? <laughs> Where is Why? He's like, because they said things other than Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so there's a guy on Twitter that wants to kill us. His name is Wartime. Or, That's I'm a sorry. good name. I can't say That's that. That's a weird name that a parent would give somebody. It's, I hold don't up, understand hold that. Up. I can't say that, Corey. He doesn't want to kill us. He says he wants to give us special thanks, which could be anything from like... I got enough, I got enough special thanks from from the people Bro, I care about. If you want to give me... I'm married, man. You give me a special thanks, bro. Send me an oatmeal pie. I haven't had one of those in a while. I'll take it as a, you know, fair. <laughs> <Oatmeal pie. laughs> you know what I would like? It would be cool if, like... So, I used to listen to this podcast. God, it was a, it was a data science podcast. I forgot what it was actually called. You would. Uh, yeah, I listened to a lot of data science stuff. <laughs> and, like, the one of the underlying themes of the podcast was, today we're drinking. So, like, in the beginning of the podcast, they would go around the room of, like what they were drinking for that episode and a part of like basically like they just got a bunch of free alcohol all the time because people who like the show just sent them alcohol to drink to talk about on the show let's do that i'm not an alcoholic 
All right. Um, get some um, get some herbe mate or some some good tea or I don't know what the fuck you want. I'm a functioning alcoholic, Jesse. And let me tell you something. That's a great idea, Corey. That's a great, great idea. idea. Right, don't send it to Jesse. Fuck that guy. Send it to me and D. And we'll talk about it. And D yeah. and Jesse can drink his giant thing of water. Corey, mm. what you should, uh, Jesse, what you should do is start having a hanging keyboard that you type on during the episode. A hanging say like, keyboard? Like, oh, I love this keyboard. That's just like, look at this I love awesome this, keyboard. I love this keyboard so much. I love keyboards. We love keyboards. The Bitcoin then, podcast. Hopefully we get a keyboard. sponsorship from a keyboard yeah. designer. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Hear my You're... keyboard clacked, so... Jesse's... I'm really amazed at how well my, my filtering software takes out my keyboard. If I could describe Jesse's salesmanship style, it it is like is cultivation. It is farming. Because three months ago, I was like, "Yeah, my keyboard's just fine." But then he sent me something today, and I'm like, "My keyboard's not as good as that keyboard. I might need that keyboard." Do I like keyboards now? Do I? Is that? I think I like keyboards now. So like, so I find myself like, yeah, clicking on my laptop like this just isn't cutting it. This is this. This you is should, you should let me. You should let me build you something. Commission something oh, for sure. Me. Build me a keyboard, Jesse. I'll use it in a heartbeat. First, you gotta do some talk about boots. it. I'll tell my friends about it. Yeah. Like, it better have a good. This, it better be aesthetically pleasing, though. He sent me a keyboard today that is made out of. I'm not doing it for free, Corey. You're gonna have to pay for the materials. I'll do the labor to assemble it because that shit's fucking like 16 hours. I'll do that shit for free, but you better buy all the parts. But I'll how make it that, good. How much are you talking about? It depends. Entry levels like entry entry level is like five hundred dollars for the whole thing. Jesse, man, like, why don't you just we need make a sponsor? It like a, we definitely need a sponsor. Make That's it like I'm a saying, thing. That you do, find like, one. I got I got a you... DOS keyboard. This shit is baller, <laughs> bro. Look at my shit. Cherry right MX here, Reds. Go fuck yourself. I don't need that. It's fucking no, razor. I got I got you, a, I got a fanatic it, too. I got all kinds of keyboards on the desk. Multiple keyboards. You won't go back. I can't even pick up my keyboard. It's a little Logitech, baby. You want like no. uh, a, a magic keyboard? I got that too. <laughs> I, got I, got a, I got keyboards on my desk. <laughs> all right, all right. So, uh, what else? Let's do some shout-outs and let's call it that. Who, who is that? Who is that? No, go back. I'm trying to figure out who that is. Oh, look who is that? Who's that? Oh, is that Salita? Is that Salita? No. Well, who? That's Tiana Taylor. That's Tiana Taylor. That's Salita Ebanks. She was. I'm gonna check out. So, you guys later. funny story about Salita Ebanks is not. No, you're giving some of these shout outs too, Corey. No, I'm not. So, I went to field training, Air Force field training, and my best, one of my best friends in life, sent me a picture of her in a bikini, which got immediately confiscated when I opened the mail. Uh, cause at that point in my life, I was, re- I really, I was like Salita Ebanks. I'm going to do everything in my power to be this woman's man. I'm going to be her King. It didn't work out quite obviously. She's now, uh, that is, uh, I can be your hero, baby. That's a Shwari Ray. Shout out to you. Shout out to Fergie from black eyed peas. <laughs> what the f- Shout out to what are you doing, Jesse? What was that? I don't know what that was. Don't don't. Shout don't out to her. To that. that is Becky. Her. Lynch. Oh, we're going to the, the white redheads. This is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be pretty good about this. Yeah, this is you. you. This shout outs for you. I don't bro. know who any of these people are. So you don't know who that is. That's uh Emma Stone. That's not Emma Stone. That was All Emma right, Stone. The that? previous one was no Emma way. Stone. That's, that's Emma Stone. Stone. 
That's, that's Emma, Emma Stone. That's Emma Stone. That's Emma Stone. Yeah. That's Amelia that? Clark. That's Charlize Theron. Yeah. Throne. I I don't know who that is. Oh, she's that's, from the, that's all you, man. That's Michelle Yao. Oh, Michelle that's Asian. That's all you, man. Yow. This is this is your this is your turn. Uh, it's that's not the way it's supposed to be designed, Corey. It kind of is lately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know we gotta wrap it because I gotta run. I gotta yeah. run. But uh, Zati beats. Uh, play the outro.